man, I'm the biggest bull I know about walking in Utah right now lives in, geez, just slick rock, buck brush, opinion country that, dude, there's not a camera down there with him right now. Like, nobody knows that bull exists. And <laughs> I may never kill him. Yeah. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. All right, welcome back to the Rockcast. It's Travis Hobbs again, and it's scouting season. Um, this will be a perfect time to do a podcast series on what I think is an art, scouting giants. And I think today's guest has it dialed. This guy has taken scouting and following giant bulls for multiple years to another level. And yes, I know I'm a mule deer guy, but I know the work that goes into scouting and killing giant bulls isn't easy. What Ryan has done with DC Outfitters is super impressive. I'd argue he's one of the greatest elk guides there is and a great guy. Welcome, Mr. Ryan Carter. What's up, dude? Hey, thanks, buddy, for jumping back. Um kind of a long story, but, uh, I screwed up. We, we had already recorded one of these. Uh, I, they shouldn't let a redneck run the uh, recording equipment and that's what I am. And I'm not very good with this stuff, but I'm getting it figured out. Uh, I think we'll have a little better, uh, outcome of today. So I appreciate you doing this twice, man. Uh, the way I look at it is, uh, you put me on one of the biggest freshwater fish I've ever caught. I owe you a few. Plus, <laughs> no worries, bud. Yeah, no. This Plus, these good. are good conversations, so I'm yeah. all good with it. Cool. Well, I, I think it'll be fun. Um, I truly love to watch and learn from guys that are like true masters at the craft of of scouting and hunting and putting it all together. And I think I think it's what separates a lot of just average guys from, you know, there's some good hunters out there that I know they don't really put much into scouting or that before the season work. And that's kind of what I want to talk about is like doing the work before the season. Um, and then kind of using that work as the season progresses and taking those little things you learn and implementing them, um, to get things done and to follow these, these bulls or bucks for multiple years, I think it's one of the coolest things you've you've accomplished, man. I think it's just super cool to see some of this stuff, and hopefully we'll get into that. Um, and I should just mention to everyone listening, like, it's not going to be a podcast on basic elk behavior 101. That stuff kind of bores me, and I think there's a lot of those podcasts. I'd really like to talk about like targeting certain animals year after year until it works or it doesn't, the behaviors of those old animals and like methods you use to try to figure them out. Um, and just that next level animal, um, that I think everybody would love to at least have the opportunity to hunt or get after. And there might be some newbies listening to this and we might get a little heavy, but I think anybody can pull some good stuff out of this. So I think, uh, we'll get rolling, man. Yeah. Well, and I, I'd be the first to admit, I'm, I'm probably not the greatest hunter in the world. I'd like, 
there's a lot better guys out there than me, but, but my passion isn't really killing like some guys is my passion lies more in the scouting. Um, and I, I do, I, it gets me out of bed all year round, like whether it's doing cameras, whether it's, you know, find them on winter range, picking up sheds, whatever it is. I, it's the, the grind that I actually like the most kind of the scheming and putting pieces together. If that makes sense. Yeah, dude. And I'm, I agree, man. That's, I've been saying it for the past few years and I kind of, it's weird because I mean, it was always scouting was for hunting season. And now like, man, I almost look forward to this time of year and scouting and getting out there and seeing what's on the landscape. And there's like no pressure of hunting seasons. It's just, and usually I have the mountains pretty much to myself. I hardly see anybody out there and it's fun to get out there interact with animals and just like figure stuff out uh, like and like you said the scheming man and trying to like, like put pieces together and make that work that that is like next level stuff and it's so fun i i i don't know what i would do without it all summer 100 percent. and and the, the animals guards are down it's not like they're you know i i don't know about idaho but here in utah like we have season after season that goes from august 19th to january 30th it like these animals see pressure non-stop all year round and even even now with the the shed hunting things right like mm -hmm. these animals see pressure almost year round until they don't have antlers like you know come may nobody really cares and so yep. may through june it, it's my favorite time to be out because the animals are just kind of doing their thing they're they're trying to build up their body fat they're man, you run into them, you know, they'll run, but more often than not, they'll take a good look at you and trot 50 yards and that's about it. Right. Yeah, for sure. No. It's a comfort zone. It's, it's, it's nice just to be relaxed and enjoy the mountains rather than feeling the pressure of like, getting in front of something and having the wind ride all the time. It's different. Yeah, man. And like in exploring those, and, and I even tell people too, like whether, and like, cause I think some people like they're like scouting. So what do you, what are you accomplishing in May and June? And I'm like, well, I'm hanging cameras. I'm out there, dude. Like really it's my favorite time to like go and like explore the landscape too. And like kind of get into like bedding areas and different places and just try to understand like especially new places that I'm not super familiar with like try to understand how the topography lays out like just get in there and like really and I just I have no worry like you said it's just like I'm not I'm not worried about screwing anything up like there's a lot of time it, it's it's so fun and why everybody else is out doing you know maybe they're boating or they're doing whatever just summer stuff Man, it's just like the pressure. Nobody's out and about. I, I don't hardly see anybody. And it's it's just, like you said, it's relaxing. It's fun. It's just, it kind of gets you back to the roots of it all, I guess. Yeah, I feel that way too. Well, that's awesome. Um, So maybe we start with, we kind of jump jump into that. Well, how about this, Ryan, before we get going, can you kind of tell people like if there's anybody that doesn't know, or maybe just like a little background and like what you do and like how you kind of come into this and how you started guiding that kind of thing and maybe when and how long you've been doing it. Yeah. Um, I can skate through it fast. Uh, started guiding specifically elk hunts in about 2000. Oh, well just elk about 2008. I did a bunch of mule deer stuff the years prior. Um, killed a few bulls back in like Oh three Oh five, something like that. 
um, been guiding ever since. And more specifically, elk. Um, my wife would be the first to tell you there's only one good thing at, and that's killing elk. So, <laughs> um, I yeah, I think DC Outfitters has been around for this has got to be year. 12 13 and i think been guiding for 16 years that's awesome um my kind of niche if you were to give me one would be archery um i've gotten kind of good at patterning bulls um figuring them out and trying to kill them with uh archery equipment more ambush style than spot and stock which a lot of guys in the west aren't used to Mm -hmm, for sure and so I, i kind of have a little um I don't know if a couple of things I'm, I'm known for, I guess, but other than that, like, you know, I get out and call them and run in the rut, just like everybody does. Uh, it's not my passion. And, and honestly, if, if I was to be really blunt, I, I hate trophy hunting the rut, even though I like the rut. Yeah. Um, trying to trophy hunt bulls is very hard when there's no pattern or, or, you know, percent <laughs> routine about what they're doing. So, does that work? Yeah, no, that's perfect. And mm-hmm. and I guess maybe we talk about too, like, and and I know this it varies, and you hunt multiple units, but like this, some of the like the ways you go about, like some of the topography um, that you're hunting. So we're talking like that southern, um, like Utah. So can you kind of just give listeners? And I think this will apply no matter where you are. I mean, you could even be in like the wilderness of wyoming and i think some of these things will apply but i think it might just make a little more sense just a rough and you don't have to get like unit specific but just talk about like kind of the topography and like different stuff you're hunting okay well i yeah i i specialize in southern utah which is um just high desert lots of plateaus um i don't do a lot of glassing you won't see me doing a ton of phone scope type stuff um, geez, during, during season, I rarely even carry binoculars depending on where we are, just because if we run into a bull, I usually know who he is and if he's a shooter. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're um, going to be it, up close. You're not seeing him from a long, long ways away. Right. It, and it's really thick. Once the rut kind of gets in and the, the elk start dropping into mm-hmm. the lower country, it, I mean, it's still high desert, but it's pinions and cedars. And I mean, obviously then we're doing a lot more glassing and, and, and yeah. playing like everybody else does. Um, but my, my kind of, you know what, I, I kind of figured out, and this was, this had, uh, I learned this in Northern Utah, which is very glassable. Um, I, I kind of learned on certain days I could pattern elk. Mm-hmm. I could get up on a point and hit that point every day. And I would glass uh, elk in certain positions on this rotation, you know, say position one, if we're looking at a clock position one, five o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, I'd get them on certain days. And sometimes I could even get them patterned to where on day eight, he's on the one o'clock hand every single time. Like he has on an eight day rotation. Um, and so my, my whole thing was, and, and we accomplished it a couple times, but it's really hard to do, but we got them patterned enough that we were able to ambush them on that spot. If so, if it's day eight at one o'clock, we were able to get a, a bow hunter in front of that bull. Doesn't mean he ever got a shot or yeah. anything, but it, it many saw him and we had kind of a pattern put down on Dude, that. that that's some cool um, stuff. Yeah. And so, and, and then through the years, because. I'm not that great of a hunter and I like, I, it takes me a few years to kill some of these older bulls. Um, 
I've got a lot of history with a lot of elk. Like, I mean, there's bulls. I've had a couple bulls that we watched for eight, nine years in a row. And I knew they were 14 years old when we killed them. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So it, it's given, well, and the other thing is, is it's um, limited entry units. Uh-huh. It's not like I'm going over the counter public land. I, I'm hunting units that have age. The state set it up that way. Yep. Um, they haven't set it up for the age that we're killing them. I mean, they're set for a six, seven year old bull, but Mm -hmm. obviously with these high plateaus that you can't glass, a lot of these elk live to be pretty old. I've had off the top of my head, I can think of four that died of old age that nobody killed them. Like their deadheads were found or well, not one wasn't, but they died and they never got hit with a bullet. So it's pretty impressive. Dude, that, that is some cool stuff. And I mean, to have animals die in of old age, like that, I don't know, that always just intrigues me. Like, like a unit that has that potential. It's just so cool. Like whether it's deer, elk, whatever, you know, it's just like the, there's going to be some serious age class in there. And, and I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I think we're all like, well, any like serious trophy hunter, that's what we're really after is like to find that age class. And I mean, even just knowing that in a unit, that's some cool stuff. Um, and then you were mentioning, you know, the thick, like hard glass stuff, you know, it's funny. Um, even in Southern Idaho, Wyoming, like Northern Utah, um, places I hunt, um, it's very glassable country, a lot of it. But it's kind of funny as I've kind of transitioned over the past few years is instead of just hunting those places that you can see all this country and, and hunt all of it, that I've really kind of found age class in some of these places that are just, you know, they're thick, they're tough to glass. Um, it just like offers escapement. And I feel like it usually gets a lot less hunting pressure just because it's not that typical, what everybody thinks of when they go out West hunting, like you're going to sit up on this high point in glass. And so it's cool. You're bringing that stuff up to me, just like, it, it just kind of is like full circle for me that it, it just totally makes sense. And I, I totally buy it. Cause I think in places where, you have all these hunters and, you know, and I know it's limited entry, but there's still, you're going to have a lot of guys out on the landscape, other outfitters, families of guys that have drawn these tags. There's going to be guys out there working hard, but I still feel, man, they're good. Like hunters are good nowadays. Like we can get, it's pretty impressive what people can do. And I think if there's like these places that ha- offer escapement, I think that's such a, an important factor. When it, you know, and I, I don't remember if we talked about this while we were fishing or maybe it was that last botched podcast, <laughs> but we, you have elevation bands in the places you hunt, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have the, the high country, even if it's you know, glassable terrain, say you're, you know, in, in high country, Colorado, Yep. Um, you have these places that, I mean, golly, even if I go to some of my units, Mount Dutton, there's probably five points that are just super popular for outfitters to sit in glass bowls few diy guys that get in there but the thing about diy on limited entry is those guys get tags every 20 years Mm -hmm. like it's it's not like a lot of those places are popular with them so but you know and then you got mid-level and you got some low level and it's the places that seem to get the less attention where you start to get the better age class and and you had told me you've transitioned into some mid-level Mm-hmm. um elevation hunting and you're seeing more success by doing so and and me i would personally say 
I, I've gotten into the low stuff more than I have the high stuff. But, and, and it's still high desert. We're still talking about yeah. 7,800 feet, 8,400 feet. But man, I'm I, the biggest bull I know about walking in Utah right now lives in, geez, just slick rock, buck brush, opinion country that, dude, there's not a camera down there with him right now. Like nobody knows that bull exists. And, I may never kill him. Yeah. You know, we, we gave him a damn good effort last year and didn't get it done. So. Well, yeah, but it's the, but it's those type of animals. Like, that's the thing is like, I, I just sit and think about some of the big bucks I've found over the past, past few years. And, you know, and I used to just, I'd love to go up, get up way up high and class all that, you know, the cool stuff. And you'd see deer for sure. But I just was never seeing like that next level, like those next level animals that like they really, and like you mentioned, Colorado, Man, like that's been my thing in Colorado is like hunting that like nasty oak brush that nobody wants to go into. And it freaking sucks. Like it's not fun to hunt it, but it's just where those deer can get old. They can survive down there. You know, we got now in Colorado, you know, they're surviving four seasons, um, Mm -hmm. late rut dates, the deer anyway. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy what those deer like to survive and to get old, they got to go through a lot and, you know, and then you start thinking, you know, like a big bull, like, you know, 14 years old, like how many hunts did that bull survive through? And like, what did he, all the places, like, what did he figure out to, to survive, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's impressive and it's, it's nice to know places like that exist. I mean, that, I think that's um, the romance, you know, if yes. I never want to, I, I never sell hunts on like, Hey, we're chasing, we got two, four hundreds this year. We're going, but, but I like to let people know, like, man, we're going to chase the oldest age class we possibly can. But just, so you know, that there might be two that last year were in the three eighties that, and they could be big, big, like yep. we have some book animals around and that's that in itself says a lot about management, about what it is and, it, it's nice to know places like that exist. Yes, 100%. And especially, like you mentioned, like these guys, you know, 20 years, it's a long time, you know? And I mean, that's even going up. I mean, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like in another 20. It's kind of crazy to think about, but guys have been waiting a long time and like to sit and wait on that opportunity and you want to make the most of it. it it's cool to me that like there's these places like you mentioned that bull that really nobody knows about like dude that is like hunting to me like that intrigues me so much like it's just so cool you know well i I, that's why i really enjoy following guys like like uh jason carter for example like he loves the desert deer he'll find a track he'll put on it for four or five days whatever it takes just to get a glimpse of the stupid thing um my guide, Aaron, same way. Like the, the only reason I was able to keep tabs on that one bull last year was that he stayed on that track for some 13 miles, I think in three days and was able to pin him down. And even then we didn't kill him. We killed his, geez, his running mate. They were, <laughs> yeah. they were with each other all summer and killed the guy that he was kind of buddies with. Like b- big bulls, like old bulls, they have some funny characteristics and we probably want to dive into yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. No, dude. Like, yeah, for sure. 
they uh, they won't travel together. They kind of get grumpy with each other. They kind of turn in turds, and they won't they won't like hate each other. It's like middle of the summer. They they'll actually kind of follow each other because safety is always better in numbers. But you won't catch them standing by each other. And the bull we were trying to kill, we ended up killing his running mate, which. I, Jeez, I, I don't remember officially. I think officially went like 398 gross. When we killed him, we taped him at 401 prior to the uh, green score, you know, but yep. whatever. Number, numbers are numbers, but it, regardless of being not being the bull we wanted, he was still big. That's so cool, man. And did he track him through? Like, dude, that's the kind of stuff that like... It's just next level stuff, you know? Track for 13 miles, man. Like, that's... It's insane. You know what I mean? Like really that stuff just is so cool to me. Mm -hmm. And that's the guys that really like do separate themselves out and like can figure these things out. Like that's hunting, like that's like just getting it done. And, uh, like when a lot of guys just give up, you know, like they're not seeing anything and like, they're just guys that go to the next level and try these different tactics. And that's, that's what it's all about to me. Right. Well, and it's, I don't know. We talked about this last time for sure, but we talked about um, guys who are consistent mm -hmm. and my whole thing with, with my guides, I like last year we talked about, um, we had a bunch of new rules implemented in Utah. Yep. Um, one of those, well, they all affected me slightly, but like one of those was the trail camps. Mm -hmm. I used to be able to run trail cameras all year round and, my favorite part about that was just being able to put pieces together. Like, you know, I'd pull cameras in May and recharging cameras and I'd find out, Oh, this is where that bull wintered or this is where he was in October. Yeah. Like how I could not figure it out. I missed that part. The the thing that people took them away for the thing that they thought somehow those cameras were helping people kill things. And to a degree, I, they are, they are, I mean, we know they exist, but, if we're looking at that act, it, it kind of it saved as many elk as it did kill them because yeah. a lot of guys would come in like, Hey, I'm not killing any bull, but this one, I'll eat my tag. No, for sure. And so, especially with elk too, man, like that whole rut thing comes into play and like, yeah, that's a next level, you know, like trying to like your summertime pictures. It's not like you're going to be able to go and like, uh, at least that hasn't worked in my experience. Like I found these bulls in the summer and, you know, and we should definitely get into this stuff, but like, call, I'd be sitting there thinking, okay, this bull's going to be by here. I'm going to glass him up. I'd get on this far Ridge. I'm like, okay, I'll be able to glass him up. I'd find all the deer that were on my camera and dude, I couldn't find the bull. Like I was like, well, what? And it would happen days and days and days. And then all of a sudden that bull would come back through go through my camera but i really wouldn't learn anything you know right well and that's i mean the the whole point of a trail camera is to assess age class mm -hmm. and if you don't understand that you're not doing things right yes. like all we're doing is trying to figure out what we're going to shoot on day one versus what we're going to shoot on day six mm -hmm. like do we do we have a 370 bull in the area like do i pass a 340 bull on opening day it doesn't matter if it's public land, OTC, private land. The point of the trail camera is to assess age class. Um, there, there was that. The, another rule they took away was like um, one guide, one spotter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, Utah's almost, well, Utah and Arizona are almost famous for like these pictures with 
40 guys in one dead <laughs> yeah. animal. Right? Yeah, for sure. And and it's comical, but yeah. that's hunting. That's like, that's what it is. It's like, man, there's a lot of people that come in to help and try to get some of yes. these older age class animals down. Um, public land or uh, over the counter guys. Um, well, and even draw guys that don't have outfitters, DIY guys, they can still do that. Mm-hmm. Um, outfitters, they put a law on one guy, one spotter. That's all you get. And there's loopholes to all these laws. Like, yeah. they, I mean, there's always loopholes. There were outfitters out there with 20 guys still spotting, even mm-hmm. thanking them in their posts and stories and magazines. Yes. Um, and the, the loopholes, yeah, well, we didn't pay him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I told my guys right up front, I said, look, the, the thing that sets the good apart from the great are the guys that follow rules. Mm-hmm. The guys that consistently redo it again and again and again, man, if you guys follow the rules, you're going to be successful. And my guys had every camera pulled. I think we had, um, between uh, six of us, there was probably 160 cameras rolling last year. By July 31st, we pulled 223. Wow. Like even the ones that weren't active that we hadn't gotten to, and yeah. some of them six, seven years, we pulled every camera we knew about and followed the rules through the season. One guide, one spotter. And it paid out. I, I mean, oh, what you guys was, have done is it's unbelievable, man. Well, I, I attribute a lot of that to my guides more than me, but <laughs> well, it's a team job. effort, but like it really is impressive. Like what you guys really, it's it's mind blowing. Like, because especially for, I mean, there's so you and you, there's is there four of you? Uh, last year, five, this year, seven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's impressive, man. I mean, like that, like to do, I mean, it's not like you've got a whole like. 23rd yeah it's pretty impressive oh what yeah you guys have done yeah, no, you know it's what not i mean a huge group. No. Yeah, yeah it's mind-blowing really mm-hmm. that's cool it's good guys yeah that's what it is well that's awesome well maybe we jump into the trail cameras and like maybe we like kind of what you do and like maybe maybe we just jump into that right now and then maybe we get into some behavior stuff and i'm sure we'll kind of get some but like can you kind of talk about the cameras you like to use like what you're preferring because like your pictures and this is something if you guys don't have instagram that are listening to this or haven't seen ryan's pictures if any of you have instagram i'm sure you've seen some of his pictures like they're just mind-blowing man like these pictures look like you're taking them I don't know, like Yellowstone Park with some like crazy big lens and you do like a professional photographer. It is unbelievable in the videos, man. It's so cool. Like I love to see it, but can you kind of talk about just implementing cameras and kind of how you would go about it and like what your focus is on types of cameras? And I don't know, maybe we even get into application like how high you put them in a tree like what direction do you face them like trigger speeds all i don't know and i know there's a lot of variables but maybe we just kind of talk generally well uh camera 101 i like i don't think so a lot of my cameras are ds4k cameras and yes they can take some high quality photos Mm -hmm. um i don't have them set that way um usually because i have livestock in the area yep um that's a big deal if i have everything set on you know high quality i can burn through a 64 gig card in a week or two Mm -hmm. um 
so you know the, and i pulled away from those cameras even i don't i think as far as video like having a 1080 type quality on your video is is more than enough um the the 32 megapixels about where i set my cameras at if if i have a bowl i'm specifically trying to get and i know there's no cattle in the area sometime i'll set it higher just for fun gotcha i, I know a few of the videos have made it like on commercials and stuff yeah and for sure kind of quality <laughs> they, on it. yeah they should be but, but it's i mean it's really not rocket science i you know one thing i've make sure my guides know to do we don't point anything east or west mm-hmm. um that way we stay away from sun glare like Yep. You point a camera to the west, every one of your night shots, you're risking losing intel because yes. the sun's behind the animal or glaring into the lens. Um, and it'll change your infrared settings. Like it does all kinds of things. So I really try to like implement in my guys to make sure they're pointing north or south. Um, elk are big animals, 40 inches about where I like to keep them height wise. Um, I, I do Utah does allow us to bait preseason. Yep. Um has to be all out before season. So I'm able to put down some kind of attractant. And let me tell you, like there's no secret attractant. There's not anything that's better than anything else. I straight salt is fine. I go to our local mine, the Redmond mine here in yeah. Utah, and I fill up two pallets full and we dump salt. I can't even tell you the hundreds of pounds I've packed up and down the mountain for the last three or four weeks. Um, salt for elk works great, uh, except for once they stop growing. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is like with mule deer, same thing, man. Like you're never get, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, they need that salt. They want it so bad while mm-hmm. they're growing antler, but the second it stops growing and they stay still maybe in velvet, but, like what happens is they kind of reach their max point and then takes two or three weeks. Like we, it shrinks. Mm-hmm. It kind of tightens up around the hard bone as, as that bone's calcifying. Yep. And then like, but from that point on, so really Arizona is about done right now. Um, Utah, like maybe July 10th, give or take some of my older big 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 bulls will go till july 20th but it's not very often that it takes them that long but after those dates salt doesn't mean anything yep but all that bait does and the point where i was going with it is i can kind of set where i want them to stand so they're not too close to the camera or too far away i'm able to kind of uh, maneuver where the picture's taken and so, like, and that's a big key because a lot of times they'll they're just cruising past your camera, or they're they'll sit there with their nose in it, or they they're on the tree line eighty yards away, and you can barely tell what they are. Yep. Having something there just to get them to stop for three clicks—that's what I need. That's intel. So, yes. um, that's a big deal, even though it's not a big deal. Like, it's not going to kill the animal. Like, it's just salt, and as long as there's water around, elk love salt. Um, elk got to go through, I think it's around six gallons every other day of water, some elk water every day, but you know, even the desert bulls need that much water. So a lot of my cameras are set 
um, with water in mind. Now, wh- whether it's a, a bench above a creek they use quite a bit, or if it's right on the creek or an old, old wallow, um, I've kind of just learned how to pick my pinch points, right? Yeah. Just to get them to come through the right way, to stop the right way. Um, I like paying attention to a lot of my cameras. I put in areas where I want to set up tree stands. Uh-huh. And so, and, and we talked a little bit about this, yeah, this last is a time. Good one, man. I, I'll set up like pieces of string in the, in the branches away from the camera so that I know what time those elk are coming in, which way they're coming in. And on top of that, which way the wind's blowing. So I have somewhat of an idea of where I can set up a tree stand or a ground blind that might give me an opportunity to kill that animal. Um, there's a lot of intel you can pull from cameras if you're using them the right way. But to the most, you know, average guy, a camera is just assessing age class and get, you know, you're, you're just trying to figure out what you'd kill. That's awesome. Dude, like the, I think like the string, man. I, I really think that's such a good idea and like to kind of learn because I mean, every time an animal is through there, I'm obviously it'd be kind of a prime time scenario usually, or when you would want to be sitting there and to get Intel on like what way that wind's blown and start to develop some patterns. Maybe you see the wind, I don't know, doing something weird. And, and I don't know why that is, but there seems like there's certain places animals like to hang out where maybe the wind's doing something weird. And it's such a good thought, like to just, yeah to learn that and get that intel that's so smart no and and to illustrate what you're saying i mean so i i deal with a lot of box canyons being Mm -hmm. as i'm in tow country yep and so yes elk and deer love box canyons because the wind is so erratic Mm -hmm. if if any kind of threat comes walking in there like they have a strategy put together and they'll smell them long before anything knows they're there um, so the, the nice thing about like me setting up strings like that, seeing what time they're coming through, which way the wind's blowing, being a whitetail hunter, I, like I, I set up stands based on wind direction. Uh-huh. You know, I have a prevailing wind. It's a Northeast this day, but it's Southeast this day. And I'll have two stands set up in the same area based on what that prevailing wind is. Well, I do that with elk as well on the same, it might even be the same little draw. Just knowing that, hey, if if it's early morning and we've had a north wind, sitting at the bottom's the, the the best option. We'll have a tree stand right in the bottom of the draw where the wind's just kind of toilet bowling out. Yep. But if we have a south wind, the temps are super high and we're sitting morning or evenings, um, it's better to set it up on this far side. So I might have two different stands set in there so that if I have a hunter sitting in there, he has options to, to hurry so and make smart. a play to make sure he's blowing the animal out if that makes sense yes that's so smart man like and i think that's the kind of stuff that's like the difference between seeing an animal when you're sitting and not seeing one you know i, right. I yeah like just this last weekend i went up bear hunting in idaho and i mean it's always in my mind like man it's funny because i'm like and it's i'm in a new spot and i'm always thinking like all right this wind like i'm trying to look and i'm so I kind of set my blind. Um, I was actually hunting over a bait, so it was a buddy's bait. But, like, I'm sitting there the whole time thinking about, okay, 
the winds, the prevailing winds are going to be where we should be good. And we were good, but I'm thinking about it the whole time. Like I'm always thinking about, and I think that I have buddies that just kind of wander through the woods aimlessly. And I don't think they like, they're not even thinking about the wind and dude, like to me, I'm always paying attention to it. Like I, I really, over the years, I've just even scouting, like I'm always just like thinking about it. And so like what you're saying about the cameras, like how that is genius, man. It's so smart to do. Well, it's just backup, right? Yep. Yeah. We all want to have backup. Plan A doesn't work. For sure. Plan B's in play. And and that's all you're doing is yeah. it's just kind of being a little more proactive about what a backup plan might be. Um, one thing I was gonna ask you, so like in these running creeks, um I've it's been interesting over the years. It's, it's hard. I've tried camera and creeks quite a bit. And one thing I've done with like bucks is I've walked up and down the Creek banks trying to find like a big bucks tracks, like where he's coming in and out of. Um, and it's worked for me in the past. Sometimes like, it's just, you're almost, I don't know, throwing a dart at the wall to see if it'll stick. Like sometimes it just doesn't work out. But is that like, what do you do on a Creek? Like, are you just kind of using past experiences or how do you kind of develop where you would set a camera, like on a Creek or something along those lines, just where there's a lot of water, where it's good water, that kind of thing. Well, I, and that's where I was going to go. Like really like right off the bat was that, <laughs> elk like clean water uh-huh. and so cattle eliminate a lot of that for me for um, sure if, if the cows are in the area like i immediately start working my way uphill even if the creek disappears mm-hmm. a lot of time you gain another 500 feet and it reappears yep seen it a um, lot yep yeah and so uh i spend a lot of time chasing dry creeks um it could be because fresh water's king um, so, so I spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, another thing, you know, trick that elk do that I don't know that I, well, I shouldn't even say, cause I just don't know. I, do, I don't know how much mule deer do this, but elk will do rub lines just like a white tailed deer will. Uh-huh. And so if I get into a bedding area that, um, say it's pretty tight pine country, I'll start looking for areas in the creek where there's a lot of rubs and I'll look even more so at where those rubs lead to because they will literally leave a line of rubs in and out of where they like to sleep. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen multiple. Yeah, dude, that's a great point. I'm just like thinking back like, yeah, I've seen multiple times where bull like, and it's elk, you know, high rub marks, and but there's like one from maybe I don't know two three years ago like a fresh one um, and it seems like they are definitely kind of in a yeah yeah and it and that's typically like your August rub lines uh-huh. like because um, the rut's a completely different game the rut elk have migrated into where the cows are yep. even pre rut even that Labor Day area elk are literally just putting on miles checking to see where all the cows are. And, and they may find cows and not even set on them. They may keep moving, but the inventory wise, they kind of, they're going through a check mark, mm-hmm. you know, got cows here, going over here, got cows here, nothing's hot, got cows here. And then they might circle back, but rut rub lines are typically in calving areas and they'll destroy an aspen tree or, or, a, or a laid over pine 
but it's doesn't it's like you'll see it and it doesn't make sense like why is it here because it's it's not a pre rut area you know yep so when i when i'm pre-season scouting and that's why i'm kind of clarifying is and i'm looking for rub lines near creeks that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for those holes where those bulls like to bed down keep it cool they'll sit and rub on three trees in an afternoon and that's a good spot to kind of do your preseason scouting, maybe put a camera, try to figure out how long he's spending in this area or if he was just cruising through, you know? Yep. No, I like it. Um, do you guys have those like scree slides in the trees? I was going to ask you this last time. I don't think I did. Do you guys have those like, like where there's all the rock, like in a tree? Have you ever seen those? Like where you'll see just a, like a glacial deposit of a bunch of rocks in trees. Do you ever use those? Like I know, like I, I'm just thinking of a few different spots that like are kind of these benchy areas that dump like, so like old glaciers dumped a bunch of rocks, like on these, basically they come through carved out like a flat spot and you'll have all these rocks. Um, I know like for me, like one of my favorite pinch points, like it's something that you like, there's just one spot where basically it's a funnel like these rocks pretty much funnel and there's this one section where you could walk through and be actually on the dirt everything else is rock dude it's like one of my favorite camera spots do you look for places like that too like stuff like that that would like almost topography maybe it's cliffs maybe it's do you kind of use that kind of stuff too 100 percent. yeah so i mean anyone from southern utah listening to this laughing right now because that's that's all we have. Those, those plateaus, all, all they were was big glacier deposits. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have like giant football fields of, of rock. And then no way an elk's the, wandering, the walking through spots. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you can find those little areas where there's 20 yards of trees or 20 feet, uh-huh. like, yep. cutting through two big boulder fields, it's like the biggest hot spot on the mountain. And in fact, two of my best spots where elk, come over the top of the plateau are are just ribbing cliffs little man it's five foot wide trail that comes off the cliffs there, there's nowhere for them to walk but right past the camera yep um, great ways to find pictures i love Plus, it. that way for me on those elk like i know which ones are migrating on and off the plateau which oh yeah that's a good point change. man yeah for yeah. sure yeah, and like Wyoming, anybody's sitting in Wyoming, I think a lot of the high country guy, everybody can imagine like those rock deposits. And if you look, there will always usually be, and it's funny, if you ever go into a basin and bump bucks out and like they'll have these escape routes, like they'll go tearing off. And it's pretty funny. And I've watched them do it before and I've went back, put a camera on it. And sure enough, I get deer like funneling in and out of that base and like, you know, multiple times, like in the morning and afternoon, it's just been one of those things I've always kind of look for in places where there's more, like, it's just not like, cause I know a lot of guys are going to sit and listen to this, like, Oh, and I've heard this, like, you can't run trail cameras where there's all this water. And I'm like, well, I have for years, man. And it's worked for me. So it's just interesting. I think guys just don't think about um, some of that stuff outside the box a little bit. So that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, some of them do, you know. <laughs> yeah. And th- some of them have little pinch points that probably wouldn't make sense to me that, man, they've probably For sure. killed a bunch of stuff on it. Like, there's always stuff. But, yeah, I just your point, like, that's really valid. I 
<laughs> it's hard for me to even explain it. Like, so the, the Boulder plateau, let's see, it's 30 miles long mm-hmm. on the, we're talking about the top mm-hmm. 30 miles long. Maybe it probably could be considered a little bit wider because it, it does swell on and off there. But for the most part, like say 30 by 30 giant plateau, it's the most consistent place in the world that has 11,000 feet. They have like long distance runs up there. Oh yeah. Um, There is only, at least from certain vantages, there's only six access points to the top of that plateau. And it's pretty crazy. The amount of migration that happens through those six spots. That's cool. And, and we've kind of have them all marked and we have cameras coming off them. Sometimes it's on the top of the plateau. Sometimes it's down through a saddle, you know, 300 yards below it. Cause they are that plateau. I, I, most of the like surrounding rim, you'd call it is yep. about 500 feet high. Like it's a drop. Yep. And so it, it's kind of cool. The transition zones through there, but almost every bull on that unit crosses that top at one point or another. And it's, it's pretty cool to see their migrations through there. That's awesome. I love it. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Let's get into like animal behavior, dude. I know we've been talking about it. Um, This is where like, to me, like the rubber meets the road and like this, the coolest part about old animals, like some of their behaviors, like weird personalities. I I know that dude, I can think of so many like anomalies, but I know we talked about it last time. Um, but can you kind of talk about like these old bulls and some of the things they do and like through the summer, like what you, and I, I know we talked about it a bunch on the last one, but can we kind of just dive into some of that stuff? Oh yeah, for sure. Where do you want me to start? Well, um, how about this? Let's start with that. The, you, you mentioned the clock thing. And I think this is so fascinating to me because I think it's so true. And I'm like, just look, thinking back. And after we've talked about it, I was like, thinking back, um, it to- completely made sense to me about some of these behaviors of like bulls, like they're on this like rotation. Maybe we start there. And then just like the different mannerisms to those old bulls, like maybe not really getting into the rut. Like I know we talked about it, that bull I was hunting, um, that I swear, like he was kind of around the rut, but he stayed up in the trees where it was safe. Didn't rut. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm <laughs> no, it's all, I'm kind of having memories of everything we talked about. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So as, as far as patterns, you know, talking about the clock, Mm -hmm. um, that, that really, that only works like early season and late season. The only time elk are consistent really is, is when they're comfortable in one area for longer than three months. Now, springtime elk are chasing snow lines and they're constantly moving. It's a full migration, just like from about Labor Day to geez, November to Thanksgiving. Yep. Elk are migrating. So for those six months out of the year, there's no pattern. There's no that you can't figure out what they're doing day to day. There's they rarely hit the same trails twice. But outside of that, like from Thanksgiving to March first, a lot of those elk do the same thing day after day. They don't move a lot. They're trying to conserve fat. They, they'll hit the same slopes. As long as they got food, they don't have to move a ton. Summer's the same thing. Like they really, they move because they like to, but man, they'll get comfortable. Um, and that's just elk, uh, cows and calf, like where it's flatter and, as far as a clock type pattern, it's not as consistent cows and calves, um, have to be in an area where calves can escape from bears. Yep. And so typically they're able to move quicker and their morning evening patterns are simply up in the mornings down at night, Uh almost anywhere in the world. That's what elk do on a consistent day-to-day pattern. So what cows and calves do, um, rotations happen more with bulls. And it all changes like younger bulls do pretty tight rotations might take them three, four, six days to do their full rotation. And it might only be a total of eight miles, but they have a rotation and they'll hit the same beds and they'll hit the same water holes and they stay where they're comfortable. Um, as bulls get older, I've noticed one, they stop hanging out with other bulls. Um, more often than not, an old bull will stay by himself. He might stay somewhat close to another old bull. Like I, I had these two bulls that for years, one had cut through the camera and two hours later, here come bull number two. And it was like that all summer long. If I got one on camera, the other one was coming through either an hour or two later or the next night, but he was right on his toes. That's fascinating. Um, but old bulls and, and their rotations quite a bit bigger. Like I've had bulls that do, um, I think we figured, uh, geez, what bull we had a bull, I think is in 17. I think we figured his rotation was close to 18 total miles, Wow, you know, square miles. It was only five or six, right. But yep. the, the, to do the full walk, the way he did it took that long. And as a result, it still took him X amount of days, like 16 days to get through his whole rotation. Um, but they do, I mean, everywhere I've been, I've, I've only had one bull ever that was weird and he was a ridge runner. He would go up one ridge and down another and it was nine miles up and it was nine miles back and it was a rotation of its own. But it wasn't like he was crossing okay. elevation bands or like most elk will stay at a certain elevation. They bed on benches. They'll say, say they like to spend their summers between 8,700 feet, 9,200 feet. And that's where they stay. Yep. Um, that, that old bull was a weirdo. Like, I mean, he was, he was dropping 1200 feet a day, his full up and his full down was like nine miles each way. 
and people were trying to kill him. But they just—he's one of the bulls that died of old age. He, well, he got gored during the rut and died. Gotcha. But you know, he's eleven years old. He lived a pretty full life as far as elk go. That's insane, man. Like, and I think this, like, just to tie it back into like maybe what people have seen. I know what I've seen. Like, just like out glassing. I can think of all these bulls that I had spotted too. The like I'd spot this good bull, and I mean, like most of the stuff I'm hunting, it's like I'm I'm looking for deer, and I'm seeing like maybe I find a good bull, and it's honestly almost accidentally because a lot of the places are like more like over the counter, um, that kind of hunting. But I like take note of like holy cow, that's a big bull, and so I'd be up there glass, and maybe I'm looking for this buck that's maybe similar in the same like one I can think of that I did find was kind of like that. I was there was this buck in there, so man, I. I would see that bull like uh, just it was like this weird occasionally occasion thing and I also had him hit a couple of my cameras just like occasionally and I always just like man what is this bull doing like what is he doing all summer like where's he going like I couldn't figure it out and it was kind of frustrating because I'm like what 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 am I missing here? Um, like where is he going? Because I would just see him occasionally, and then maybe it was uh, I don't know. I think one time it was like a couple weeks later. All of a sudden he was back. I'm like, all right, perfect. I'm gonna get up. It was like a Friday night or something. I'm like, I'll be able to see him. You know, in the morning I'm gonna get a little closer. He was a long ways off, and I'm like, I'll get a little closer, be able to spot him. Dude, never seen. I never seen him, and I'm like, man, it just it threw me for a loop. The I could spot this bull and I don't know what he was doing still to this day. I mean, I have no idea, but every once in a while he'd just kind of roll through and I never like, it was just one of those things, but I know I, I've heard guys say they've seen a, they spotted a good bull and then they can't find him. And maybe that kind of like in the summer and maybe that helps explain it a little bit. Like there's these, you know, they're moving. They're just not hanging out in a spot, maybe like a mule deer would like you kind of get a mule deer, maybe, in his summer pattern, like just kind of hanging out in a spot. I just, I guess I don't see that with big bulls. And it's always been one of those things that I'm like, man, that's weird, but it totally yeah, makes sense. I, I didn't see that ever in my life until I went down to Arizona and killed that big bull with Jimmy John. Oh yeah. And it threw a wrench in everything I thought I knew because that bull which was crazy. One, he ran with another bull. Uh huh. Um, that bull was so. The bull with Jimmy's bull. For those who don't know, he he was like some stupid four hundred and sixty-eight inch. Unbelievable. Jimmy called him the freak. Like he had all the goods. He had triple brows on both sides. He had split G fives. He had a split beam. He had devil tines. Like everything anything a bull could have. have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any one characteristic yeah. you ever wanted on a bull, he, he had. had it. it was weird, but Jimmy called him the freak and all that came together just was a miracle in itself. But um to kind of throw a wrench in my whole old bull behavior thing, um he stayed with another bull that was probably a little older, probably had two hundred pounds on him even though I felt like Jimmy's bull was pretty big um, size wise. We're uh -huh. talking yeah. 750. Say the other bull pushing nine, like he was fat. Gotcha. And Jimmy's bulls, they'll kind of push him around. Um, it's kind of interesting. Those bulls just hit the same beds. Really? Just and stayed in one. Was, 
Yeah, and they would they would work their way up, and they would go hit a spring, and they would feed, and sometimes bed up there, and then work their way back down. But for the most part, within a couple of days, they were hitting the same beds every time, huh. um, which is something I'd never seen before. But this it kind of adds to this point, dude. Old bulls are just old men. Yeah, like like. I'm an old guy, right? Like I know what I like, what I don't like. I know what I'm going to mess with and what I'm not. Uh-huh. I just, I, I'm not going to try to keep up with the young guys. I'm not going to play their games. I, I don't care to like mess around them and, and be competitive. I, I'm past all that. And a lot of these old bulls are the same way. And, and it's going to lead into the rut a little bit, but for the sake of pre-rut right now, those bulls, there's no rhyme or reason to what they do. Like they might have a pattern, yep. but their pattern might speed up or slow down. Like, it's not like I'm going to get them clicking at one o'clock on day eight, every, every eight days. Gotcha. Because one day he might get up and like another different water hole yep. and he'll move and get back on. But here we are on day 10 or 12 that he's coming through that when I was expecting him on eight, like old bulls just kind of do their own thing. Um, like Dude. I said, I had one that was a, a ridge runner. I had one that liked to just go check out this area in the desert and then he'd work his way back around. And it's not like he lost a lot of elevation, or gained it maybe a thousand feet, but his rotation involved going from up in these Aspen's pine areas down into this, really a cow pond down in the pinion just to kind of check it out and then work his way back up. And every Oh, it was probably around 11 days. That bull was checking that one water hole. That's so cool. In opinion. Weird. Just weirdos. But, you know, a couple of things, like we, if we get back into where we were on last podcast, we talked about, like, differences in the rut. Uh-huh. And, and I, the only reason I, I remember and bring it up is because something you said triggered a minute ago about, you know, you caught this one bull and he was always up above. Like, yes. he just... He wasn't down in the ruckus. Yep. Well, old bulls don't necessarily love to rut, especially big bull. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, uh, the way it worked, like, right, just like us, like, we go to college as freshmen. We're like, all right, it's game time. Yep. Like, we are getting <laughs> sure. laid. We are going to wreck this place. And we think we're going to be top dog and and like every freshman knows it's the most humbling place in the world like no girls want to talk to you you have very few friends yep. like the people who do talk to you they're typically making fun of you young bulls are the same way like they'll get in they'll push the cows around kind of but mm-hmm. the matriarch will turn around turning back um come labor day those are the bulls that you hear calling early yes you know the cows aren't in heat yet. They're not running, but you got these bulls stripping their velvet and trying to stay cool by rolling in wallows. Um, and they think the rut's going, and they'll try pushing cows and they'll bugle like crazy. And it's a mistake a lot of guys make is moving in on those early season bulls, going, "This is the top dog." Yep. Boom. Herd bull, top dog, done. Well. In areas that have actual age class, and that doesn't mean 14 years old. It could be seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, those bulls won't rut as heavy. They don't move in until they actually smell cows. And sometimes those bulls will herd. 
a lot of times when bulls are really old, they don't herd cows. They just follow the herds. It, it makes more sense to an old man. Like rather than go to the party, I'm just going to wait outside the bar till the hot one stumbles out. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and go do my thing. Like yep. why, why stay in the hunt and compete with all the guys? Like she's got to come out of there eventually. That's what these bulls do. They stay upwind. They bet above the herd Mm -hmm. to where they can smell what's going on. Mm -hmm. They can still feed. They don't have the stress. They're not burning body fat. Typically, the bulls that figure that out are the bulls that put on the most inches the following year because they're carrying fat through winter. Yep. And and they're big enough that they once the cows do come in heat, they go in, they sort out cup one or two or five that are in heat, pull them out, do their thing. Within a day or two, they're back feeding again. So, like old bulls have their own little kind of deal. Like, and it's 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 funny, but man, that's the only thing I know how to compare it to is old guys. I think it's you know? the best analogy, honestly, that I've ever heard because it, it really, dude, it completely makes sense to me. And and I've seen the behavior. Like, and I'm not I'm not an elk guru. I'm really not, but I've seen enough of their behavior. And I, I like talking about that bull. I mean, so we're on a, it's a over the counter general season. And this bull, like I sit and think, I mean, he's like 380 plus, a great bull. But for him to go through all the motions of living his life and to make it to that age, dude, like his behavior explains so much to me. I'm like, the only way that bull got as old as he did was he's doing something different. And that was the thing is, man, he was always above. So there was these spots you could see, like there was like glassable country and this bull was up in the timber, like super hard to see. Never once did he have any other animal with him always by himself. And he's just this giant on an over the counter, like laying up there in the trees, like just and dude, he had it figured out. And I think over his life, he just figured out like, however it happened, like, I'm not going to go down there. I know I'm sure something happened to him. I'm sure he got some pressure, maybe he got away, but like for that bull to get that old and like, to just figure out all everything he did. So a lot of things had to go right. And his mannerisms and behavior taught me so much. Like I was like, man, I, cause it just was like a whole nother world. Like, and there were some pretty decent bull, like respectable bulls for an over the counter. Like, I mean, mature six, like 300, 315 type stuff down there that everybody was after. I mean, a lot of people and this bull never made a peep. He just sat up there kind of in his own little world. And who knows what happened at night? Like, that was what I was always fascinated. I'm like, I wonder if he's coming down in there at night. Like, but he just, Dude, and he didn't move much through the day, just sat above this herd. And it's a long story. I ended up getting a bullet in the bull, and it didn't pan out. I still to this day have no idea what happened to him. I But it's just, it opened my eyes a lot on, like, and, and I'm always just fascinated by what I've seen some old mule deer do, some of these old bulls, like what they've just been able, like how they figure it out and how they survive um, hunting pressure and just get old, you know, it's just fascinating to me. It is to me too. And and the funny thing is, is to, you know, just like that bull with you, just like Jimmy's bull with me, I, I swear every year, like one elk in particular throws a wrench in everything I thought I knew. Uh-huh. 
it, it, it goes without fail. Like, and, and that's why I say like, is when you start getting into age class, anything goes. Yep. Because you never know like what weirdo you got going on, you know, like yes. this, this bull over here, he's Kanye. He's, yeah. he's hiding, but he's loud. <laughs> yeah. Like he likes to bugle, but he doesn't like to come out unless uh-huh. it's nighttime. Like what a dick. Yep. Like <laughs> so that there's always those. And so everything kind of can be thrown out the window and that, that can go with anything. I mule deer really that way. Yes. Like, the old mule deer do some strange things. Oh man. Yep. And I I just don't. That's why it's so hard to say, oh, yeah, I know what big old bulls do. Like, you just don't, like, no one does. It's just like old guys. We, man, we get some weird quirks, dude. Like, yep. I, I don't know. It, it's fun to sit and speculate. Like, that's the part of the game I love is, is, um, trying to put pieces together, right? Yes. But more often than not, you're falling on your face because each one of these elk, they're, they're not just singular. They are, a he she them they are themselves and they are weird well so i agree man dude like the coolest part about all this is like it goes to like this has been my whole thing that i've i've figured out over the years is that i can never like learn enough i can never be around enough of them like because every time man there's been so many occasions that like like you said one animal like just throw you think you're starting like okay i'm getting this figured out and then all of a sudden like something happens and you learn like okay maybe that's it's just and it just happens to me so much that i've just kind of decided that like man i'm gonna soak up every bit of information and like try to learn from guys and that's why i love talking like why i agreed to do the podcast with robbie was like dude it's just fun to talk this stuff and like to see what people have like put together over the years and learned and like compare it to like things that have happened to me in my past and it's just like that's the that's the coolest part about hunting is there's like, there's no top. There's no, you could just go for your lifetime and you're still going to learn stuff. Things are going to change. Um, it's just, it's so cool, man. I love it. I'm with you hundred percent. And, and I don't want to like have this podcast go through without ending kind of how we did on the last time, you know, all the, all those th- things you learn and you put into good play and, and, you try all these different options. Scheming is my thing. That's what I love. But the the one thing that remains through every hunt I've ever been on, and and I know you're going to agree with me because we already talked about this, but the guys that put in the most work, yes. whether it was the right direction or not, yep, like whether they were following every every track, whether they were doing whatever, the guys that seem to put in the most work and 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 don't let off the gas, yes, are always the guys that are the most successful. Dude. Like every, every time I've been outplayed every time that things haven't worked out, it's because the dude that outplayed me was one step in front of me mm-hmm. and I could, I could name probably five or six guys right off the top of my head. And I'm like, it's not that I was slipping. In fact, it was probably just, I was spread thin. I was trying to yeah. keep track of my bulls, but yep. in all reality, like the kids that got those bulls and they got things done, it's because they were putting in the efforts. Yes. They didn't, they didn't know more. They didn't figure out more, but their effort was just flawless. And, and man, when you're, when you're trying to put all those pieces together, I just think that that's the effort, whether, whether or not it's 
on the mountain during the rut or at home with the Excel spreadsheet. Oh, I, I had a guy last year. I had a bull that never really hunted before. He's kind of really remote. Like this kid had to backpack in there. It was about seven miles just uh-huh. to get into where you started hunting. So he backpacks in and he gave me, I think he gave me 18 days back there. But the thing that was cool about this kid is once we started getting pictures of this bull and he said, Ryan, this is the bull I want to kill. And I'm like, cool, this is what it's going to take. Like, you guys are going to have to backpack in there. You're going to have to stay here. you got water back in here, so you don't have to pack that in. But this is how far you have to stay. Here's your tree stands. He took my cloud of photos. I keep years and years of photos. Which is a good tip, by the way. (laughs) Like, awesome. Yeah, we can talk about that in a minute, too. But he took all those cloud photos and went back through five years on that bowl. And every time he went through a trail camera, he marked the date, the time of day, and how often he stayed in that area. Five years of intel he took in and and sat on that bowl. Priceless. And, dude, he saw the bowl. I saw the bowl. I walked in on him once, too. He still was outplayed him. But bottom line is the kid still killed an awesome bull. Yep. Like an awesome bull. I, I don't remember three, probably high sixties, low seventies with a bow. Like he put in the work, he killed an awesome bull and put together some pieces on a 400 inch bull that I hadn't seen, even though I knew the bull for the last five, six years. That's awesome. It was cool. Well, and that's the thing, man, is like, I sit and think I hear like, we talked about this a little bit too, is like hunter attitude, man. And it's, it plays in like, I know, there's so many guys that, and everybody knows one of these guys. They're like those guys that they're always down in the mouth about everything. They're always like, it's somebody else's fault. They're always upset, whatever. It didn't work out. And they have all these like excuses and they blame and oh, that guy's lucky, killed that bull, whatever. But dude, one thing I've learned over the years is it's like guys with a positive attitude that seriously, like when they go out in the morning, like they're going out, whether they're going to, they're thinking in their head, I'm going to find a 200 inch buck. I'm going to find a 400 inch bull. And they just do it day and day and day, whether it's through the summer, they take every bit of time they have and they just put in work, dude, every time, man, that guys have a good attitude and they go and put in the work. I swear, like all those guys that I can think of like that in my head, always are the guys that get it done. That's like one thing that they all have in common is they always like, they just have a great attitude and dude, the work, man, like they're not scared to go and do the work. And, and that's really what it boils down to. And it's funny. You mentioned, I have said this, like, I must be the world's worst deer hunter because the amount of days I spend and for what I kill, God, dude, I'm horrible. And I really think a lot of it is like, you'd spend enough time out there and then you're bound like for the stars to align. You spend enough time and enough days and you start learning all this stuff. Well, then you just, whether you put a couple puzzle pieces together that maybe you are missing, or maybe it was just, you got lucky. And that has happened to me so many times. Like I just decided to sit here and glass for a minute and dude, shit, all of a sudden there's that buck I've been looking for and I haven't been able to find, or maybe it was, 
I, you know what? I'm going to put a trail camera here. Like, I know it's stupid, but there's just something in my head that's like, man, I ought to just check this. Dude, and I get him walking by a week later. <laughs> it's just stuff like that, that like you just keep busting it and get after it. Those are the guys, like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's always funny that I feel like those are the guys that like succeed and get it done. And then it's, they, and they do it over and over again. And then, and doing it on purpose too. Like, everybody can go out, get lucky. It happens. It happens all the time. But like, guys that go out and just freaking do it on purpose. And Robbie's like talked about that a bunch in his b- book. Like, his dad, I think, told him after his first buck, he's like, okay, hey, now you got to do it on purpose. And dude, not, that, that's always resonated with me. It's like, yeah, you do got to do it on purpose and just line it all up and figure out, like, how am I going to do this on purpose? And then the other thing that's I, I've always just been sitting thinking about, man, and I want to know what your thoughts are on this, but when you spend a bunch of time even if you're not even being successful, let's say you go and run your trail camera loop and you don't, you, you get, it's just a bust. Like the whole trip around, dude, there's always something to be learned. And that's what I try to think is like, I should always be trying to take some information from when I'm out in the field and just try to apply it and just always be thinking and not just wander around with my head down, like freaking pissed that I didn't get a picture. But like, what are your thoughts on that? I do not. <laughs> That's like every other trip for me. <laughs> well, what you're saying about the world's worth of deer hunter, like I, I feel the same way about me. Like I, but the amount of time I spend out there, like you would think, like yeah, you just would be yeah. flawless. Mm-hmm. But fact of the matter is, everything changes. Like and and there's personalities involved. Yep. It, it, it's as much as we want to think is mule deer, or just mule deer. Like I tease all the time on mule deer, just dumb. They get the wind right. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't mean. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just with joking. you. I know they have these. They have these personalities, and they're all different. And trying to figure them out is freaking tough. And I'm right there with you. Like there are weekends that I drive off the hill thinking it is a miracle I can put one damn thing on the ground. Yeah, like I what think the, the hell? Thing, Seventeen dude. cameras, and I didn't get a picture. Yep. What was that about? But then you sit and reflect. Where are my cows at right now? Why would they not be over here? Am I too low? Am I too high? Uh-huh. What's my water situation? If you don't sit and try to figure out what that was, you are going to fail. But the fact of the matter is, most of the time you come off, you've pulled all those cameras, You but you sat and gave yourself some time to reflect. Why was I unsuccessful? What was not good about this area? And if there are supposed to be elk here and I didn't get them in those spots, let's look on Google, figure out what we got. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we can find something we missed. So like, and and that's what makes people successful. You know that, I mean, that's the scheming fails far more than it. Yes. Wins, you <laughs> yes. know, um, Ryan Hatch had a funny story about this buck. Um, I don't, you know, Ryan, yeah, yep, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, to those who don't know, he runs really crazy magazine based at Canab, probably seen more 200. Oh yeah. Yeah. Than... Tons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he has this, like had this deer that him and his dad found each a set of sheds off. And then like they found one set together and then he found one and some other kid matched him up with him. And he had like seven years or something off this, mule deer well one day he gets a phone call hey 
whatever he called him. I forget the name. He so-and-so died. And he's like, what? And they're like, yeah, we, some guy shot him. And he's like, who? We don't know. And months go by and he finally hear, gets the guy's number from somebody uh-huh. that finds out who killed this deer. And he calls the guy, Hey, Ryan Hatch, you know, I'd run this magazine. I got all these sheds that deer. I, I kind of hunted him for years and years and years. Like I, I want to do a story. Do you, do you mind writing something up so I can put it in my magazine and blah, blah, blah. And the guy was like, well, I got a couple pictures, but I don't know, man, I was just driving down the road and, there he was. So I jumped out and shot him and no way. realized I had a Twinkie still sticking out of my mouth <laughs> while I was driving. No way. I swear to you, dude, I keep a pack of Twinkies in my truck. Just for that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that lucky once. Just That's one awesome. time in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it happens, you know, it really does. Like guys, I, it's funny. And and I know guys that have been just getting demolished all year and they're positive guys, like, you know, didn't have anything. And then dude, they pull a rabbit out of the hat freaking it happens. Like, and yeah, it's so well, cool. Especially when you're dealing with over the counter type stuff, right? Like that's the game. That's the game. Yes. You know, it, it's not a matter of right place right time it's the right time right place like how many days are you actually out you don't get lucky unless you're in the field yep and so like man i i really uh put a lot of emphasis on that like man do the work do the time even if you're failing like you're gonna learn stuff every single time like walking those miles just teaches you so much stuff uh, dude, I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Cause like, I know a lot of guys, they, they'll message me and be like, dude, so how do you like scouting? Like, how do you keep your head up about it? And st- like, you know, and I, I, they tell me like they had a, like a shitty trip and nothing worked out and they didn't see anything. And it was like, I'm like, dude, that, like you said, it happens to me all the time. Like I, like, I don't know what a lot of people think. I don't know if they think like, um, that you should just be out there like seeing all these animals. Like, dude, I, I am, I would say 90% of my scouting is a complete bust. I'm whether I'm going in, look, trying to learn stuff like, dude, it's just a complete bust. Like, but it's those little things that like I'm learning, I'm understanding the topography shit. Maybe it's as easy as like, Oh shit, I can ride over like two, like there's this nice Ridge. I can ride over here and be into this next basin next time. Just like stuff like that, that like, I'm always trying to put in my brain and, and, and just always thinking about, how I can use it or what I've learned. And dude, and one of the best things for me, and it's funny, a lot of times after like a shitty scouting trip, whatever I get pissed and I'm like, whatever. And I'm upset, but I'm, I'm good with it. And I know I'm just gotten used to it. Cause it's just the norm. Like it, it really is the norm. So I just roll with it. But dude, a lot of times too, it's when I come back home, I have a clear head. Uh, maybe I walked freaking way too far or whatever. But a lot of times I'll just be sitting around not doing anything. And I start thinking back and like putting like little pieces of the puzzle together. I'm like, shit, maybe I ought to go up here and look. And sometimes it's those follow-up trips to those bus trips that like really pan out for me, or maybe it's two follow-up trips or whatever. But I just think, I just want guys that are sitting here listening. Maybe they've done some scouting and like, it's never paid off. It's just don't think about it as like a one time and out type thing. Like I really think you got to think long-term. 
Well, if, I mean, to add to that, if I, yeah, the, the rut is a fast paced scouting trip. Yes. And, and one thing I tell my guides and, and clients that get frustrated easy, right? Yep. Um, it, dude, no one gets more frustrated than a rifle hunter, mm-hmm. a Utah rifle hunter. Yes. I'm telling you, man, like day three, if the, it hasn't happened, oh my They're gosh, worried. it's the end of the world. Dude, rut hunting elk has taught me something that hunting is just checking boxes, mm-hmm. period. Like whether you're scouting, whether you're chasing mule deer, whitetails, whatever it is, like have a game plan in pay, place. Don't think of any of them as a fail. Think of them as a check the box. Yep. That spot's that's, done. That's Moving over point. here. Going to this next one. Checking that box. Okay. Three failed check boxes in a row. Like hunting isn't easy. Like, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that would say hunting's easy. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, a few guys in Texas would probably tell me that. <laughs> but, but for the most part, like it's hard. the reason... The reason we do it is because it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like we don't cheer when something dies because we like watching shit die. Yep. We cheer because of all the effort that's been put in finally got put to rest. Yep. Um, and, and I'm not a big fan of it. it. It is what it is, but I understand it because of that effort. For sure. And so like, man, I can't say enough about it. Just check the boxes. Don't think of anything as a fail. Think of it as, okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. This one, and that that can go with any business you're running, anything sure. you do in life. Like so true. Ch- check those boxes. Keep moving. Yep. And if you look back, it's only to make sure you covered all your tracks. That's it. Keep going, uh, dude. Could you cover like attitude? Like you kind of touched on it a little bit. So I think um, it's kind of funny. Uh, Robbie did a podcast recently on like drunk governor tags and like kind of some of the stuff that goes on with it. And you know, it's funny, these, these tags that guys wait a long time and maybe it's only six, seven years. And I think it is true, man. Guys put so much into it and I haven't really gotten lucky and drew like a crazy, like I I really haven't over the years, I really haven't had any tags, so I'm not very good, but can you kind of talk about those hunters in camp that you're so you got hunters coming in and they might be invested. Most of them are going to be invested either a whole bunch of money they bought a conservation permit or they they drew they're in 20 you know a lot of them 20 years um to get one of these tags. Can you kind of talk about attitude and like some of the hunters and I know you mentioned our friend Brant last time and I wanted to talk about cuz like dude he's one of them guys. He's like them that guy I'm talking about like with that positive attitude. That like he's going to roll with the punches and he's going to like come out on top like every time like I know it. And it, he's just one of them guys, but then I know some of the guys that are just like you mentioned, they're all wound up on, and on day three and that's, they got seven more days or like, it's just, can you kind of talk about that and the dynamic that goes into that? Yeah. I can read a book on that. <laughs> Cause I think it's good <laughs> stuff for guys to like sit and think about and you deal with it. Like you're dealing with these guys and maybe talk about attitudes and how it helps and plays in. Well, I, I as you said, like these hunts are a big investment. Now, whether it was an investment in 20 years of trying to pull a tag or it was an investment of, you know, man, I, I've been stashing money aside from my side business for this long and I, I needed the tax write off this year and I had to buy a tag, okay. whatever it is, they have worked their ass off to be at that place. And there's a lot of pressure there. Yep. 
Um, you know, I, and I joked about the Utah rifle guys, but, and the, the only reason I do is because a lot of, a lot of these guys in Utah don't go outside of Utah. Uh-huh. It's, it's not like they're trying to go just kill elk and go to Me- New Mexico and pull a tag every three years. They've been waiting for that one opportunity for 20 years. Yep. Once in a and lifetime they, type opportunity, really, for a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And when and when they tell their buddies they drew a Utah, like, say, beaver tag, dude, everyone's expecting 400. Yep. So these guys all feel pressure. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of ways that I kind of deal with pressure. Um, one is set up expectations. Like, I know my statistics really well. Um, I, I like Kyle Ostrand last year was here. He'd bought a tag was hunting. At, well, he should be number seven or number eight ever killed in the state of Utah. I think four twenty seven something. Kyle was hunting him archery. Like even, even any success archery is 30%. Yep. Any success, Se- success on a bull over three seventy that's pushing book. Like you're talking 5%. Success on a bull that's one of the top ones ever killed in the state. Like, I, I bet he was far under a quarter percent. Oh, yeah. You know, his expectations were were set before coming in. He had all the days set aside. He knew what it was going to be. Was he still upset when the hunt ended and he didn't kill that bull? Yes. He was still upset, but he wasn't upset at his effort. He just upset it didn't come together. Yeah. His effort was stellar. Yep. Um. But you know, he knew what the expectations were, and that's a lot of the like setting up expectations is a really big deal because it's like, look, ninety percent of the bulls coming off this unit are are three thirty to three fifty. Mm-hmm. We're gonna as you you hired me, I'm the best. We are going to go for book for the first three days, and then we're gonna peel back three sixty or better. You good with that? Like, that's what we're going to do. Yep. I, I want to go for this bull. You know this bull. I've shown you his picture, blah, blah, blah. Setting up expectation is a big deal because then I know those first three days, they're not going to have a big cry fest. Yes. Right. Like we're going for big. So like that can always be a big thing. You know, the thing I love about Brent. So <laughs> we he shows up day for the hunt. We're glassing out in these like low opinion country i mean if you look back at the pictures of his bull like yeah i mean they made cover of a couple magazines yeah. i think but yeah he did it's just yep. off, right yep. like it's just <laughs> the thing is is I, I glass out there the week prior this okay this is gonna take this story it's just you're good be, we got time <laughs> so so the year prior i have this bull and and um, he's got this great big back end, these big hanging thirds. That year, he was probably in the 90s. Um, he's kind of hanging out on this bench last week of the archery hunt. Well, I send one of my bow hunters down there. And I'm kind of up above trying to flag him, show him which ways to go. You know, I, I tell him, go sit on this this wall, this spot. I show him where the water is. And he hikes out there and gets on the water. I said, the second that bull's on his feet, I'll start flagging you which way to go so that you can get it on top of him. Just make sure you're paying attention to your wind. Uh-huh. Guy did it perfect. Dude, it was so awesome. Like, that bull gets up. He's with another bull. They're kind of sparring, like playing around, doing their thing. He's He's got time. He works all the way in on those elk. And in my spotting scope, it looks like they're 25 yards apart. 
he's kind of crouched down. The bulls are playing. The bulls look like they're starting to move from right to left. I'm thinking, okay, now it's game time. He's got to, you know, go. So I'm watching for him to get up and draw. Well, all of a sudden, I kind of see the bull straighten up, and I turn my scope, kind of see if I can see what he's looking. And he, you know, he's on alert mode. Like, uh-huh. ears are up. He's staring hard. I'm like, oh, busted. A couple seconds later, they turn and they bolt. I kind of swing back to where my hunter was crouched down, and he's he's standing up, walking away. And I'm like, what just happened? So you think so he I, got him, or? So I get in my pack. I'm like trying to find a radio. I finally find one. I'm like, dude, get on the phone. Like, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. And he's not responding and he's walking and lights go out and still not responding. Eventually I see his headlamp and he's just kind of zigging Zach back and forth. I'm like, oh, maybe he's looking for blood. Oh yeah. Now About I remember this story. <laughs> 45, minutes, 45 minutes after dark. He gets on and I'm like, dude, what happened? Is he, is he dead? Was that blood? What are you doing? That's kind of embarrassing. Oh, you miss? That's not embarrassing. He's like, no, I, I lost my bow. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean you lost your bow? And he's like, well, I, I plan worked perfect. I stalked in there and he, had him at 60. He turned, they were going to, where they were walking was going to put him right at 43 yards. So I even had a tree that I knew I was going to draw my bow on. So the second he starts working his way to that little cedar, I'm going to, I reach down to get my bow to knock an arrow and get like draw. And there's no bow. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what, what do you mean there's no bow? <laughs> He's like, I, I don't know. I must have set it down somewhere. So I'm walking around looking for it. I just, I don't know what happened. I'm like, dude, go back to that water hole and I'll come around and pick you up. And he's like, well, I'm almost there now. Oh, there's my bow. <laughs> dude, that is one of the greatest stories. I, I, I just think, it, like, you know, Yo. so hyped up. Yeah, so wound was, up. And that guy killed an awesome bull a week later. During that's the run. so like, cool. I mean, that's just bow hunting, right? Yeah. That's the, it's hunting. Stuff happens. But yes. What's funny is Brant, it's a year later. It's the day before the hunt. Same week that we had that happen the year prior. So I look down, there's that freaking bull, great big back ends, hanging thirds. I'm like, oh shoot, there he is. I'm like, let's go try tomorrow. Brand's like, sure, you think so? Like, sounds good to me. You know, he's just yeah. Mr. Happy Go Lucky. Oh, I'm yeah. like, dude, we got to get up really early. We have to go down this completely different canyon to keep the wind at our back. Come up from the far side. I said, guarantee you, these other outfitters glassing off here are all going to come down with the wind at their back. So crack a light. We got to be in play. So me and Brant got up three in the morning, came in from no man's land, six miles away. Keep the wind. Lights come on. Bulls standing there. I lay my scope up. A couple good bullets. Bulls dead. Like, (laughs) that's perfect execution. No, it, it was cool. It played out perfect. Problem it was wasn't the bull I thought it was. 
<laughs> it was a different bowl. I walk up to the bowl and Brant's like looking at him and I'm all pumped. I'm carrying all our stuff. And he's like, Hey, uh, that's not him. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't remember his brows being so short. I get looking at the bowl and I'm like, Oh no. Different like, bowl. Granted. So what's funny, like I didn't put it together till later that night. That was actually one of the bulls on my hit list, and that was the bull that his wife liked and wanted gotcha. him to kill. So it was awesome. Yeah. But he wasn't I I don't know what that bull scored. High sixties, low seventies. He just Great wasn't bull. scoring. Yeah. No, I mean those pictures awesome. down in the desert. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, no, it was super fun. And Brant's funny, but this that that isn't even the like funny part the funny part is the next morning because i still got hunters in camp mm-hmm. brant likes to hunt he's like i want to go home like yeah got the meat on ice antlers are hanging in a tree like i keep them like skull cut them everything coming off the mountain yep. i don't carry anything out i don't have to yep. so that bull's completely taken care of he's like let's go hunt we'll go spot for bennett in the morning i'm like cool <laughs> we go up to one of my favorite little rut spots just to see what's going on get these bulls fired up. I think we called in a gal. He was probably a book bull, low seventies bull right to 90 yards and Brant's filming in. And then we get up on this point, start bugling. Here comes this bull. And Oh my gosh, dude, like I didn't know the bull. He, he's just a clean six. He comes walking in, dude. He's, he's twenties all the way. Like oh man, Brent, he turns to me. He's like, how big is that bull? And I'm like, dude, he's three ninety all day. <laughs> he's like, Huh. And then I'm thinking, shit. <laughs> we just, we yeah. Like, a, you know, a lesser bull the day before. I'm thinking, oh, Brant's going to think I'm an idiot. And he just turns to me and he smiles really big and he goes, Ryan, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, he's so funny, man. But, dude, good attitude, man. And it's freaking contagious. You want to be around. Like, dude, and Brant's one of the best, man. We've had some just shitty days. Like, I fish with him all the time and get our asses kicked. And, like, dude, he's he's just next level. He's an awesome guy. Well, and he's a prime example of checking boxes. Yes. Like, he, he is that guy. He's like, well, yeah, that spot didn't work today. Let's go try over here today. We've had good days over there. Box checked. Didn't look back. Didn't get mad about it. Just yep. move on to the next square. Yep. No, it's awesome, awesome. man. Freaking dude. It's just, I don't know what you guys have done. It's super cool, but it really is. It's just awesome stuff. I, I Thanks, dig man. this stuff. And I think people, I think people take a lot from this. We could probably go on for, what have we been an hour and a half? We could probably go three hours. I'd love to just keep talking, but maybe we'll wrap it up here. I just appreciate it, dude. I'd love to do another one. I don't know. I'd love to get into some of the archery tactics and some of the stuff. We should definitely do that sometime. I would love to just talk about like how you guys, but I think, I think this gives guys a good starting point and at least something they can think about when they're scouting this summer. So. Yeah, for sure. And, who knows? Maybe we should do a postseason. That's fine. That'd be cool, dude. I'd love it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yep. Let's look at it. Okay, buddy. I appreciate you. You bet, dude. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Yep.